Welcome to Geek Meet Social, a weekly roundup of favorites in the world of a gamer girl's social media geek. Get ready to discover books, podcasts, apps, social media tips, and more as we journey through the digital life. I'm your host, Tyra Burton, and you've arrived at episode seven. So welcome, everybody. This past week and a half have been really hard ones, and we're going to talk a little bit about it. And if it's possible to be behind in every aspect of your life, well, I'm there. That's the definition of Tyra this week. So let's get started. This episode was actually supposed to post on what would have been my mother's 95th birthday. We lost her back in March of 2015. She was just 90 and about a half then. Uh, But many, as you know, grief is an ongoing process that goes beyond the year of first, well beyond it. Um, I miss her every single day. I miss my dad. He's been gone since uh, 2011. And This year, I had planned on celebrating her birthday by going to lunch with my sisters. Well, instead, we ended up attending a funeral for my Aunt Catherine. Catherine was the last of my dad's siblings to be alive and the last of my aunts and uncles on both sides of the family. Uh, She lived to be 97, and she had this full-of-life spark about her. She was always uh, spunky every time I saw her. She was an educator, too, and I I wish we had been able to connect more on that as I grew older. And I always remember visiting her house in Carrollton, Georgia, when I was a child, usually with my Uncle Royce, when he was in on one of his visits from New Orleans. And she would always send me home with books. So I have these books downstairs in my library that have pain in them, which was her last name. And they make me think of her. She was just so gracious, such a wonderful host. And it was really wonderful to, to celebrate her life. And 97, oh, that's, a, that's a great life. That's a good run. So my week last week really revolved around reflection and loss and trying to face the future. Um, My sister is 71 now, and she's actually the matriarch of our family. I'm not sure if she knows that, but maybe I'll tell her at Thanksgiving. That'll give her a good boost. (laughs) But to celebrate my mom's 95th birthday, I intended on taking a cookbook that she and I put together oh, a bunch of Christmases ago, almost a decade, I think, and bring it online. One of the things I didn't manage to do while she was still with us was to um, revamp our cookbook. So if you didn't know my mom, (laughs) she was a hoot and a half, and she was an amazing cook. But she didn't measure things, and she didn't really time things, if you know what I mean. So it would be a pinch of that, a sifter full of this, And her favorite words were always, until it smells done. Well, what the heck does that mean? I mean, really, people, what does it mean when it means it smells done? Well, I have to say that I've actually used that phrase now that I do a little bit more cooking and baking than I did when we were making the cookbook. But it still was frustrating because I thought, you know, one day mom's not going to be with us and I want to be able to make her fried pies. How do we do that? So one Christmas, uh, we spent a couple of months and decided to give the whole family cookbooks. And I printed them up at the good old Kinko's, if you remember Kinko's. And I actually did scrapbooks for all of my uh, siblings so that they had a nice scrapbook copy of the cookbook. 
So it took my mom and I months of her making recipes, my dad being the taste tester, to try to figure out what they all wore. And of course, afterwards, she wanted to make changes. Like any good artist, she wasn't done. And I've come to realize that a cookbook is really a living, breathing document in many ways. And that you change it, you add to it. As things change or your taste change, maybe you change the recipe or maybe you find a better way to do it. I swear, she spent two decades trying to perfect her fudge recipe to be perfect for my brother-in-law. So I was hoping for her 95th birthday to get an updated compendium of all of the cooking recipes that I had up online where I could have it be a living document, where it could be a wiki where my sisters and our families could go and our friends and be able to see mom's recipes and hear a couple of stories about her. And that over time, I could keep developing it and eventually probably turn it into a printed book. But I was hoping to get it done, and I didn't. I did get it started. So I got a couple of her bread recipes up, and I got the shape of the uh, wiki up. I've been doing it through Google Sites. I was really surprised at how much I've enjoyed that, learning that process. But uh, so now I'm hoping to get it done for Christmas, and it'll be an extra surprise gift to my family unless they're listening. So I love you, and I'll try not to tell any embarrassing stories about you online. And act surprised for me on Christmas Eve when we see each other. So besides the stuff going on with my family, I've had a couple of my besties going through their own set of hurdles. One has been taking care of wills and powers of attorney. She has a major surgery as well, all of which has you kind of thinking about the next phase of life, and it's just a royal pain. Let's be honest. We all should have wills. We all should have power of attorneys. And the reason we don't is it's such a pain in the backside. So I know that I need to update my will, and I need to get a power of attorney for my husband, and and he needs to do the same thing. We have not done these things, but we need to. And you need to do them too if you're out there. Because when life kind of, you know, goes sideways, those are things you want to have in place. So I really appreciate her doing that. But on the other hand, it kind of just has you thinking about what's next and existential questions like what is life all about? Though I have discovered that since I've lost both my parents, I do think a lot more about what is life? What is the purpose of life? What is my purpose? What am I doing here? Uh, What does it all mean in the end? And uh, since Shane and I don't have children, I don't really, you know, I don't have the concept of, oh, I'm doing this for my kids or my, my prodigy and all the people that will come after me. So what am I here for? And a lot of times I have those questions. And I think particularly one of the reasons we kind of avoid taking care of wills and those kind of things is because we don't want to really think about those questions. What happens after I'm gone? What happens when I leave? Not only here, but in the hereafter. And that's a question each of us have to answer on our own. And it also starts us thinking about what could the rest of my life be like? You know, what if things don't go out the way I planned? And one of my dear friends just moved her uncle down here to live with her. And when she suggested, hey, come live with us, his apartment was changing up in New York. She didn't really understand what was going on. And things are much more complicated than she thought. And just watching her kind of rise to the occasion and rising through fear and being scared and having a ton more of obstacles and hurdles to jump has really been inspiring. And I think that's an amazing thing about life and friends is that a lot of times we can find inspiration in the people that are right next door to us. Um, 
And it's just been amazing. So both of them have actually made me very aware of family and friends that are family and how life is not only interesting and filled with love, but those friends and family make life possible. And that that's really at that core of of that why question. And it's only through banding together and helping each other that we can get everything done that we need to do. Um, Even if it's just signing a document for someone, that can be a life-changing situation. If you're witnessing a will or a directive, you're doing a service for people. If you're picking up somebody's mail or bringing them a, a piece of brownie on their birthday, you're making a difference. And so I think it really brought home that idea of the concept of it takes a village uh, to raise a child, but I really think it takes a village to live life fully. I just found out that uh, some people that I was really close to um, are no longer my friends on Facebook. And that's kind of sometimes how we kind of scratch our head and go, oh, what did I do? And I thought, well, you know, sometimes we're part of people's villages for a moment in time. And sometimes we're part of people's village for their entire time. Uh, If you haven't seen Good Omens, uh, I would suggest you watch it. It's a little hard to get into, I'll be honest with you. I think I've talked about that before. But it's really a remarkable story for me. It's not about romantic love. It's about family and about friendship love. And that really deep, deep friendship that goes on for years that you just feel at a soul level. I believe that we have soulmates that are, you know, our friends, our family, our lovers. And to me, Good Omens is all about that kind of friendship, deep, deep love that really the word friendship doesn't describe it. It goes beyond that descriptor. And there needs to be another one. There needs to be something besides bestie that describes that soul love you have with another person that isn't romantic but is essential to you and essential to your life. And I'm very blessed that I have some of those in my life. So to those women out there, if they're listening, know that I love you. I'm part of your tribe. I'm part of your community. I'm part of your village. The topic we're going to talk about this week is imposter syndrome. And I know that I sometimes feel like I'm a fraud, that I'm just waiting for people to figure out that I shouldn't be here, that I shouldn't be in this crowd or included. Um, And they're actually, you know, I thought imposter syndrome was a 21st century thing, but it actually was coined back in the 1970s by two psychologists, Susan Imes and Pauline Rose Clance, both of who studied this phenomena of high achievers who were unable to internalize and accept their success that would have these fears that really I'm going to be found out. And I thought, oh my gosh, so we this has been around for like 40, 50 years, and here we are still talking about it. And I started to look at different types of imposter syndromes. So one of them is like the perfectionist, which of course, this is like, you're, I'm a perfectionist. And so here you feel like you never can be good enough. Same thing if you're trying to be superwoman or superman. The natural genius, so you're, you're pretty bright, so you pick up things quickly, so you don't feel like you've put in enough effort for it. Um, the soloist who hates asking for help, and if they ask for help, then they feel like they were not uh, worthy enough to be there. And then my personal favorite is the expert measures their competence based on what and how much they know, and they believe that they'll never know enough, and they fear being exposed as inexperienced or unknowledgeable. So I don't necessarily measure my competence by how much I know, but that fear of being exposed as inexperienced or unknowledgeable all the time. I mean, that 
it just was the sum of my imposter syndrome when I have it. And I think to some extent, we all do. We all question, do I really deserve to be here? I say all, but I know there's some people who don't, and heaven knows I admire them for that. But for all of us that do, that have the sense of, you know, not being worthy, or it was just luck, really taking a step back and going, okay, why do I feel that way? And I know some of my imposter feelings come from childhood. I was teased relentlessly because I was a chubby girl. I was a plus size girl my whole life, and I was teased for it. I didn't quite fit in. My playmates growing up were 50-year-olds, which didn't translate very well when suddenly I was surrounded by six-year-olds in first grade. I know that's shocking, but <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> and so that really affected my self-esteem, which I think then fills, feeds into imposter syndrome. So I did find an article from the American Psychological Association that has some things that you can do when facing imposter syndrome that I thought were really good suggestions. And the first one is to talk to mentors. And mentors are so important. So I started thinking about this, and I mentor tons of students and throughout my life. I've had some students that I've been, they've been a part of my life for over 20 years. And one of my friends is definitely my mentor, and she does help me see that I am successful. And I think that's what good mentors do. They help you show um, your progress, how much you've grown, and what you've achieved. And they also help you chart to the next place if you're lucky. Um, You can also recognize that you are an expert. Like every now and then I have this moment where I go, oh my gosh, okay, I do know some things that other people don't know. And it's because that's my field. And this happens with social media. Social media is never a good place to be an expert because you never are because it's always changing. But the truth of the matter is, I am an expert compared to a lot of people. And I'm really an expert at teaching it. So being able to recognize that is really important. And also remembering what you do well. So you've got to look back and go, hey, what is it that I'm you know, excel at? What is it that you really do well? What is it that people ask you for help on? And needing to realize that none of us are perfect. And at the end of the day, it's we have to change our thinking. We have to stop ourselves when we start going, I'm not worthy. It's just an act. Somebody's going to figure me out. Uh, Take a step back and say, nope, nope. What is it I've, oh, I have done? What is it I have created? And look at it as if it was somebody else who did it. And say to yourself, would you say that they were an imposter? And I bet you 99 times out of 100, you're not going to. So sometimes it helps us to take a step back and see our work and our lives through somebody else's eyes. So I hope if you uh, struggle with self-esteem issues or you've got imposter syndrome going on, find a way, find a mentor, find a friend, take a step back, look at what you're doing and realize you are worthy. You've worked hard to get where you are. And hopefully we'll start having a conversation online about this. I've started a group for Geek Meet Social, and it'll be up on my uh, Facebook page at Tyra Burton Author uh, if you're looking for me there. But anyway, I hope we can continue that conversation. But I wanted to share with you a quote that I got in my Productive Flourishing email newsletter this week that was from Maya Angelou, and I thought it kind of fed into this idea of imposter and how to make sure you're not, okay? Um, This is what she said. It's from Rainbow in the Clouds. It is all about the work. In the later years of your life, your happiness and your self-esteem will be determined by the mountains you surmounted, the valleys you climbed out of, and the life and or career that you forged for yourself. 
So don't forget that. Uh, Just keep climbing those mountains, get out of your valleys, and get out of your own way. I know sometimes that's the biggest thing I have to do. I actually have a note taped to my monitor that says, I procrastinate because I fear I can't or I'm not good enough. I am. I hope you know that you are also good enough. And in the world of wanting to be even better, I just started reading a book called The Happy Professor. Uh, I'm borrowing this book from our Center for Excellence of Teaching and Learning, and I'm glad I did, not because the book isn't good. I just started it, and it seems it seems really good. I always like finding out new ways to teach because I don't think you can ever learn enough. And as students change, you have to change how you teach, and that's just the generational thing. Uh, but I'm glad that I'm borrowing it because it was $27 for a trade paperback that was 135 pages. And what really frustrated me was I was looking on Amazon for it, and it was $24 for an ebook which is ridiculous. And it really kind of got on my nerves because I was like, this is one of my pet peeves. It's when publishing companies don't understand ebook pricing because $24, it was over $24 for an ebook is just crazy. And it happens all the time in academia. We'll charge outrageous prices for an ebook when I you and I both know it didn't cost them anything to print it. So I'm hoping that they will sooner or later figure that out. But the good news is that there are libraries out there. And if you're not visiting your library, that's my top tip of the week. Go visit your library. They're awesome. You don't even have to go to the actual physical library, even though I think they're fabulous. They have skill classes. They'll have things to help you with jobs. They have areas for you to study. They're awesome. I love all the libraries that are near me. I have good friends that are librarians. My sister-in-law is a librarian. She's a media specialist. And she's always teaching these really cool classes. And if I lived down where she was, I would be going to them and helping her. But you can also connect to your local library online. Is that not too awesome? So if you remember back, I suggested a podcast called All About Agatha. And A Murder is Announced is the book that they're doing now. Actually, the episode's already out. And I looked in my local library system for the ebook because the price for that on um, Amazon was outrageous for just like the ebook was like seven or eight dollars. And I'm just not going to do that. But guess what? My library's ebook system has it, and I'm going to be borrowing it and listening to it through there, reading it through there. So I'm true. I didn't even have to leave my house to connect with my library. So go connect to your local library. You'll have to walk in the door once to show them your ID. But there's so much more there than you know. Now, my podcast and my social media tip for this week is the Social Media Marketing Talk Show. I just started listening to this podcast again, and I really like it. It's a short format. It's about 20 to 30 minutes, and it covers the latest current news in social media. So if you're working in social media, I definitely think this is a great podcast for you, especially if you've got a morning commute time, or you just want something to listen to while you're drinking your coffee in the morning, and you've already listened to my episode for the week. But they also do it weekly. And matter of fact, they were talking about Instagram this past week and how Instagram is going to be having some more creator tools for IGTV. And that IGTV is actually how a lot of us think Facebook is going to try to compete with YouTube. Um, YouTube is the second largest search engine on the web. It's, of course, owned by Google. And there's a lot of companies trying to get in on that video feed and what's going on. So IGTV is making it so you can create seasons 
for your shows. And they're giving you some tools to do that. So it's going to be interesting. I also heard that we're going to be able to do events on uh, Instagram and your stories. And they really are talking about stories and how you can better create them to make uh, contact with your followers. And that it doesn't have to be perfect content. I think that's one of the things that really is brought over from Snapchat, that your stories content doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be the most beautiful picture in the world. You're just trying to give people a glimpse during your day. So some interesting things happening on Instagram that I found out through the social media marketing talk show. So I wanted to close out today with a poem, which I know is very different, but I thought this is just perfect with the topics we've been covering. It's one of my favorites, and it touches on the young teenager inside of me, the insecure 20-something, and as I'm sauntering into my 50s, I hope I'm more like the woman in this poem than ever. Maybe one day I will be. But this is Maya Angelou's Phenomenal Woman. Pretty women wonder where my secret lies. I'm not cute or built to suit a fashion model size. But when I start to tell them, they think I'm telling lies. I say, it's in the reach of my arms, the span of my hips, the stride of my step, the curl of my lips. I'm a woman, phenomenally. Phenomenal woman, that's me. I walk into a room just as cool as you please, and to a man the fellows stand or fall down on their knees. Then they swarm around me a hive of honeybees. I say it's in the fire in my eyes and the flash of my teeth, the swing in my waist and the joy in my feet. I'm a woman, phenomenally. Phenomenal woman, that's me. Men themselves have wondered what they see in me. They try so much, but they can't touch my inner mystery. When I try to show them, they say they still can't see. I say it's in the arch of my back, the sun of my smile, the ride of my breast, the grace of my style. I'm a woman, phenomenally. Phenomenal woman, that's me. Now you understand just why my head's not bowed. I don't shout or jump about or have to talk real loud. When you see me passing, it ought to make you proud. I say it's in the click of my heels, the bend of my hair, the palm of my hand, the need for my care. Because I'm a woman, phenomenally, phenomenal woman. That's me. That's it for episode seven. If you want to find out more, go to geekmeetsocial.com or tyraburton.com. I'll see you next week.